As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your taste. Welcome to Android's Dungeon on CFRU 93.3 FM, broadcasting out of the University of Guelph, Guelph, Ontario campus. This is not Guelph, Ontario campus, but it is Android's Dungeon on CFRU, a show about books, movies, music, and most importantly, the things that keep us going in life, which are the games we play. In this case, computer games, board games, mind games, uh, occasionally professional sports, uh, more so for Joel than me. Although I'm not opposed to it, I've wanted to join a pickup basketball league for a long time. I've been very lazy. I've never investigated it. It would be nice to Wait. learn a martial art, go back to uh, I go back to the gym. Basketball. Oh, I, I I don't play well, but I like it. And when you're over six feet, you automatically are, should be yeah. playing certain things. You just drop like, it in. Well, you know, you can just be a point guard, and you know, if you just exist, this isn't. We're not. We're not trying to play some street hoops in some sort of 90s game where you're, you know, the, the mean streets of Chicago or L.A. Of New, or New York. We're, we're talking about Southern Ontario here where if you are of a certain height, you are automatically valuable insofar as your arms are long. And, you know, I'm happy with that. That's the type of skill that I'm, I've always been very happy about, you know, being part of, of just being of a physical stature that's enough to let you get through certain hurdles that... Let's say if you were a manlet, uh, you'd have to be really good at dribbling or shooting or something. For me, no. Just can I stand still? Can I occasionally do a layup? Yep. That's fine. Well, you know, I got a friend who's um, got, a, got a team in the men's league. Who's that? Tell him, tell him I've got a player for him. Brett King. I, I, Brett? Brett. Yeah, you may not know him. I was going to say D&D Brett, but uh, I can't see him playing basketball, to be honest. So. No, this guy's kind of small, ironically, for a basketball player, but uh, pretty pretty good as far as I know. Well, Muggsy Bogues was uh, pretty short, and yeah, he was one of the all-time, all-time greats. I don't know how tall Michael Jordan was. I don't think he was uh, below six feet, but, you know, <laughs> you never know. Hockey players kind of can be all over the place. It's you yeah. don't have to be gigantic in hockey. Like Brad Marchand isn't gigantic, I think. Yeah, be and, tricky. Uh, yeah, you can be a little stealthier, kind of sneak sure, behind some of these guys. Don't hurt. Yeah, true. But you you tend to get laid out by guys. I think that's why Chara. He, nobody would say Chara was a, a genius hockey player, but when you're what was it like six foot seven, six foot eight, and having to get custom sticks because mm-hmm. the NHL actually limits you on your stick size, so it would have been like him holding a a mini stick playing on the ice with mm-hmm. a regular one. So, so cute. Think, I guess so, if I didn't hate Boston so much and Chara. But uh, he didn't even finish his career there, which is interesting. I guess when you win so many cups with a team, you just have to... It's it's okay to move on to another one. Yeah. Do you follow hockey at all? No. Yeah. <laughs> I would say, like, kind of, but, like, no. <laughs> if, if, if the Canucks are in the Stanley Puck Cup, I'd watch that. Yeah. Might be... Uh, I wouldn't hold your just breath like, on that one. Yeah. Not, at least not <laughs> yeah, for a season or two. Uh, 10 to 20 years or so. Well, the Leafs are definitely in the playoffs. We'll see um, if they can shake the spirits, the, the haunted ghosts that seem to cling to them, like uh, uh, so many awful D&D spells uh, for are the first round. They're very good, but uh, the issue is the, the Eastern Conference is just stacked. It's, it's a bloodbath in terms of the, the teams that are going to destroy each other to get out of it. Meanwhile, you look at the Western Conference, and I think... 
even one of the weaker teams in the Eastern Conference has more points than all the the best in the West. So it's just, you know, for a while it was inverted. So this isn't some chauvinism, but it it is just frustrating to watch because of the the format, as opposed to just doing taking the best teams and then putting them, you know, ranking them normally, like worrying about divisions, get rid of that. Just, you know, if you're the best, you play against the worst, and then you just kind of even it out. You know, second best plays against second worst and so on. Instead, you get this, you know, you get Titans destroying each other, and then you have <laughs> maybe one team that uh, mm-hmm. skates by, and uh, sometimes they can go on to do big things. I think Columbus was uh, a wild card or last place or something to get into the playoffs, and they ended up taking it all. So, you know, it can happen. But in this case, the Leafs will be playing Tampa Bay almost certainly. Um, and Tampa is a great team and has knocked them out a couple times. And it's just, we need the ghosts exercised. It's kind of but, funny that way how, like, in football, like, so many of the matchups are, like, it's guaranteed, like, this team is not going to beat this team. But in hockey, wait, like, are we talking about anyone can lose and anyone can... Yeah. I'm are we talking, talking about, about NFL? Football. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you can, you're, you're never guaranteed. And like you said, what was it, the bottom seed one last time? Not last time, but in the past. I, I, I could be wrong, and there could be a listener who is into hockey more than I am, which doesn't take much. I'm just a Leafs fan, that's it. But I do appreciate you called uh, this golf a professional sport. <laughs> uh, are, do people play it to make money as a career? They do now. There you go. It's a professional sport. It's, I don't respect it, but it's a refresh, professional sport. It's fine. It's just as goofy as regular golf. Why not? I, I wish there was contact in it. I wish you'd have to be dodging somebody running at you, but I guess uh, not even ultimate frisbee. Yeah, exactly. You like like you're trying to throw into the basket and someone's diving no. in front of the disc. Yeah, yeah, there we go. And uh, you're throwing discs that may or may not be just uh, sharpened metal razors. <laughs> and you have to just as like discourage people from messing with your your throw. Exactly. That's so. I think that would definitely improve numbers. Uh, it might get it classified as a blood sport, but you know, I don't know many people that complain except for the people playing it. But Great, maybe crazy thing happened actually. Um, so last weekend was the beginning of the Pro Tour again for the 2023 season there in Las Vegas for the LVC Las Vegas Challenge. Yes. And yes. in the final round, there were four people tied at 2700 par. Um, it's a four round tournament. And uh, one of the guys, uh, Gannett, or, um, Anthony Barella, has never won before. He's pretty young. And he was one of the four tied to, for the lead. And he made this amazing drive that was just going to fly by. It was like par four. So he's going to be like circle two for a putt. And he, he, there was a spotter there who was watching on a rangefinder, and he hit the spotter in the ankle. The, the spotter didn't notice because, you know, I guess it was like <laughs> objects in rangefinder are closer than they appear. Mm-hmm. And he, he got hit in the ankle, probably broke his ankle. Oh, my um, God. And the, and the disc went off his ankle into a sand trap out of bounds. So and that's just that's just bad luck for the guy that drove, you know, contention for the win. All of a sudden he's two strokes down and, and it's out of contention. So wait, was the drive was it on the fairway and it's just oh, in yeah. the range? So the, why the was range, the rangefinder just the range standing finder, in the fairway? 
he was right next to the cameraman, and I guess they just didn't expect the guy to be able to drive that far. You know, usually the wherever the cameraman is is like a hundred feet more. They're they're called catch cams, and they're trying to catch the 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 shot coming in and landing. So they're usually like a hundred feet back from where they think the throw will go. And this obviously this throw was just a bomb that just kept going and going and going, and then hit the guy in the ankle. Still feels a little. Because I think in professional golf, you'd never have some cameraman just sitting there next to the pin, uh, being on the off chance that you know, you, you know, it's it, there's no way he'll drive here. And then, oh, yeah. whoops, I guess he did. He was definitely a volunteer, but <laughs> I don't know if he's going to be doing any more tournaments. It was definitely a bad position because the second drive went almost the exact same path. Did I lose you? Anyway. Watch out. Okay. Never mind. Yeah, it's I'm still surprised. Do you think the basic rule of golf or any sport, I guess, is a spectator, no matter what your motivations is, just yeah, just don't assume it's gonna go straight pat into you. And furthermore, don't you not want to get dinged no matter what? So I don't know. That what a strange situation. I feel sorry for the guy, but you know, this is when you gotta be a bit of a prima donna and maybe you couldn't even see the guy down there, but you'd say, Please, do you mind moving? You mind clearing the fairway for me? I'm I'm it's I'm not gonna do it ninety nine point nine nine percent of the time, but please get out of the way just in case this is the time. Yeah, crazy turn of events, okay. Android's Dungeon show about talking about disc golf. The latest in disc golf news. The latest in disc golf news. Um Joel, what have you been playing recently? I'm playing disc golf. But that's uh that's nothing new. Uh, finished Bloodborne in a sense, you know, in that I made it to credits. Yeah, not the easiest way, just the you know the the most direct route. Yeah, exactly. A speed speed run. <laughs> the speed run for me was run, a month or whatever it was. Well, um, it's you know, not even a month necessarily. We need to look at the total time played. So uh, you know, you could do a speed yeah, run and still do it in a yeah. month. So what's your what's your overall thoughts? Needed to be. Um, it does get easier for sure once you get your damage up. Because if you if you don't have to be perfect, you know, if you can kill a boss in let's say ten sequences of hits or twenty sequences of hits instead of sixty, then you can make mistakes, right? And you you're fine. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah, I mean, the, the real challenge at the beginning was when you were doing low last damage, and then I think I don't, I don't know if I was even over. Like you said, soft cap forty. Why? Why do you call that? Is it because you're getting one after that, like one additional damage? Um, I'm not sure about the damage per se. It's when you look at the. It's about how much you have to invest. So you there's your your linear increase in power drops off after the soft cap. I don't know if it's forty or fifty. So there's a soft cap that you hit after I think forty. We'll just say it. And that's when you you're dumping points, and you'll see instead of just every point going up, it takes every two to get something. And it, it's still semi worthwhile because your weapon might be scaling with it, but. And it's not as important in Bloodborne as it is in other, uh, like in Elden Ring, for example, you have more stuff to kind of sink skills into that feels more efficient, or it feels like you're spreading out your character. Because in Bloodborne, and same with a lot of the Dark Souls games too, is that one of the gimmicks is that you never need to put points into vitality. 
because especially in Bloodborne, you're not going to get one shot by most things. Maybe the odd boss might have a crazy attack, or if you're doing chalice dungeons, as you get deeper and deeper and deeper, you'll get one shot. But because of the rally mechanic where you can get health back, and also the fact that blood vials are pretty decent, you, and you get 20 to jam into your body throughout a fight, assuming you're not uh, um, burning them for uh, uh, extra quicksilver bullets or whatever, um, the game is very friendly in that sense. So you never need to put points of vitality, and basically all you have to worry about is what's your primary damage stat. Okay, we'll put that up. You never need to bu- I never put a point into stamina, ever. There's no point. Mm-hmm. Um, because you just, it's maybe by the end of the game, like, like when you're going through chalice dungeons and a simple little like section of it is going to, you're going to walk out with a hundred thousand XP. It's, you just kind of, things kind of fall by the wayside at that point. You just, <laughs> if you make it out alive, you just look at what you've got and you, you max out all the blood vials you can buy. And then you just maybe put a point or two into something else and you keep going with your day. But, uh, um, oh, so, some, so I guess I, uh, noticed, which maybe you haven't, you didn't know is the palace dungeons don't go up when you play. Um, game plus second game round plus. you go through you 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 get like a more challenging environment so you go through yarn and everything everything's got way more health and does way more damage um you go to the blood chalice dungeons exactly the same so literally everything one hit by point now, are you sure they didn't scale, or is it just because they they scale lower than the rest of it, and you're still just outpacing the damage or the uh, the buffs? I'd be sh- I'd be shocked if that's new game plus for the challenge because I got fighting the bosses and did, killing them in like, in like three sets of you know five attacks, or whatever, fifteen hits. Mm-hmm. They're weak, 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 weak. It's just that the thing is, and that's one of the main issues with Bloodborne that unfortunately Elden Ring. Um, kind of copied to a lesser extent was that the Chalice Dungeons are just so boring because when you've seen, if you've gone through one from start to finish, you've seen probably 99% of the formations that um, you're going to see in a lot of them. There are different types and every now and then you do see something that's kind of cool, but generally speaking, they're just so tedious and you're just doing the same thing. And there's also secret you know, illusory walls in them too that are annoying and you have to kind of figure out the algorithm where when they're going to show up and sometimes they're obvious where it's like, oh, there should be something here but there's just a strange doorway that's covered in stone. Oh, mm. guess I'll turn around. Nothing here. So then you whack it and you go through and you're like, yeah, that was lame. But, Is um, it just me or like, um, does it feel like the child dungeons of the side quest things were like, they had a lot of people working on the game and they just were like oh we have too too many staff let's just get like our b team to go make some random shit it's possible <laughs> but i, I think it it's does, it's not it, even it that feels like they took all the objects and all of the interesting things from the main game and they just like put a meat grind well that's that's kind of what it is so you're more on the point with the second one because i believe the whole point with the chalice dungeons is when you dive into the bloodborne sort of i don't say lore but when you look at the cut content there's tons tons and tons of cut content and you could see them they had this idea where it's like well what would would be really cool is if people had these infinitely randomized dungeons where there's always content for people to enjoy you go yeah that's kind of cool i guess and then they go well what are we going to put in there and they kind of pause for a second like well we have all these bosses we designed and some of these monsters and we just can't figure out where to put them reskin them them or dump them somewhere (laughs) yeah just but you see that in the game itself. Like, how many times do you see the 
reincarnated something else. Um, like a werewolf, but like now it's bones. Yeah, absolutely. It's I'm not going to defend necessarily that they're they weren't you know copy and pasting or palette swapping enemies, but at least you know thematically it can tie into the game how. You can look at it. There, there was never a point where I went through and I was like, well, what's this guy doing here? Or this is obviously just a reskin of this thing. It's, it's ob- At least it always looked interesting. Because even though, let's say, you go in Yarnum and you have the Yarnum villagers with their pitchforks and whatever, and then you get into the Haunted Woods, you're still fighting enemies with pitchforks, but now they have like disgusting snakes bursting out of their face. Oh my and, god. Or they've got idea. awful wounds. Yeah, it's an awful enemy in the sense of, because it's not fair. You get close, and you just—it's almost like airing effect damage. Yeah. And the, oh, the plus and, side oh, do you is like that being poisoned? they take like a minute to transform, so you can just kill them before they—you can they whittle get them down. Snake, but... Though, but um, yeah, no, I—I I think Forbidden Forest is a great section, but it's just it's so annoying and long. Yeah, and there's a lot of stuff too, and it can kind of trigger the OCD in people like myself, where if you feel like there's a branching path and you're like, okay, I'll come back and you take, and then you go, oh no, there's another branching path. Uh Oh, there's another branching path. And when you play it a couple times, you realize it's not that bad and it's just, okay, I'm just going to loop. But it does get a little, I can feel my anxiety increasing when there's, I I, I do a section and I realize I didn't do a couple other paths. And then you do the paths and you realize they were super short and you just took the wrong one that could have, you know, finished nicely or looped back nicely. But so it, I guess it, my overall question is, did you enjoy it? Would you play it again? And are you going to, because I know you mentioned you want to, I think you said you want to try DS3, but does this kind of give you a, a taste for the, the, the From Software action RPG design? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, it's the first one that I really gave a chance to and the first one that I really committed the time to get good at. And it was fantastic. I think there's, it's really a... Beautiful game, well written. You can tell that they just put tons of work and love into it to to make it uh, what it is. And what was it like? Two thousand fifteen, it came out. I don't know. Not off the top of my head. A while ago, anyway. At least eight years ago. And yeah, still about to still making the PS five edition. Everything. Um, you know, it's it's their. Uh, it's 2015. It's, yeah, it's their um, uh, Skyrim. You know, it's like <laughs> this is the moneymaker, and and Bloodborne is is still kind of by a lot of people as the as the best. So I don't know what you think, but it's definitely up there. It's it's unfortunate that uh, I I think Elden Ring is now at the top of most people's lists, but I almost feel like it's just achieved. I, this is might be the wrong word to say, but I'm going to say meme status in the sense that it was. It, it achieved terminal velocity in, in terms of anticipation, so you had a ton of people who'd never picked up one of those games before in their lives, or they'd heard the the stories of how difficult, you know, Dork Souls is. So, Elden Ring was their first kick at the can, and it really is kind of the, um, kind of a mixture of Bloodborne, Dark Souls, Demon Souls, Sekiro, and it's, it is a good game, but I, I find myself, I think about it, and again, you know, I talk about with Bloodborne branching paths and anxiety and missing stuff. That's a million times worse in Elden Ring because it's the open world. And I, I still think the open world doesn't quite work um, because it, it feels like for every cool section of it, there's another 10 that feel like frustration or just kind of traveling for the sake of traveling. 
and it, it does create this semblance of a giant land, but ultimately I think the the more tightly crafted levels of of Bloodborne and Demon Souls and Dark Souls will always, always be superior to the the more ambiguous uh, open world stuff. And it kind of gets into the whole idea of if you can control where players are going, um, you can build you know tight experiences around that. But when you have a giant open world, you're kind of just at the mercy of building a bunch of stuff and hoping for the best beyond some minor gatekeeping elements here and there where it's like, oh, you can't go up here until you've gotten these two medallions. It's like, okay, well, I guess I got to get these two medallions. And how do I get those? Oh, I can go a million different places before I get to them too. So it's really just, you're just blocking me off one section. So I guess what I'm saying is that the... The it's it'd be like watching a movie versus watching a movie that has a choose your own adventure aspect like that yeah. dumb Jabberwocky or Babadook <laughs> whatever that Netflix goofball. Oh thing was. yeah, Bandersnatch. Yeah. Bander, see, I, I was I was close with my. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jabberwocky. No, I get exactly what you're saying, and I, I I can't say that I understand entirely about the Elden Ring, although I did watch my friend play it and kind of get the idea. He was like, you know, I can't go here. I don't have this, but at least for Bloodborne, it is like one of the most like kind of like catch your breath moments in Bloodborne is always when you're just slugging it through this, you know, dark area and you're fighting these things and you're going up these cliffs and dropping down and going around and you find this ladder and you're like, hmm, I wonder where this goes. And you go in the ladder and you climb it for a while and you come out and you're like, oh my God. Art. I'm back at the beginning of the whole game. (laughs) And then that's the moment when you realize that not only are you back at the beginning, but the game didn't magically transport you there from some some portal or do some cheap trick. That you are actually in this world and it actually has a shape to it that actually led you completely in a full circle all the way back. Which is so cool. And when you can see one of the coolest things is just taking a look off the edge of a cliff and seeing well, it's just some pirate ships over there, some of these random thing. And you know that you could actually go there, you know, somehow well, you could actually end up. There's even um, in the, for the DLC, even the, there are parts in the base game where you can see, like you mentioned pirate ships. I don't know if you did that on purpose or not, but there are, you can see, uh, wreckage yeah, like in the of ships. fog or something, right? Yeah, and that's the 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 fishing hamlet from the DLC. So there's tons of stuff in it, and it gets that's what I'm saying. It's the world building that you know what. So what, in Elden Ring, you can climb to a top of a mountain. That's a Todd Howard almost. You see that mountain, you can climb it. You can sort of do that in Elden Ring, but it's not quite as. I remember in Skyrim thinking this is ridiculous when my horse is like almost perpendicular on a mountain. It's like okay, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not upset, but it's silly. Um, I remember like doing that in Skyrim and making and really regretting it because I was like, "Well, I'm going to climb this and see, you know, where it goes." And then I get to the top and there's this massive freaking dragon. Like, oh, yeah, no, um, because I fought twenty of them. So it's like, all right, fine, whatever. <laughs> Let's do this again. I guess fortieth dragon I've slain, and that's uh, that. Going back to Elden Ring, that's something they do very well in the game. Is those the dragon fights in Elden Ring are as epic as you're going to get in a game outside of. Um, I'd say Shadow of the Colossus in terms of fighting a giant beast that's just, it's clear you're especially when you're in a horseback and you're riding you're slashing at it and it's it's spewing fire and you're dodging and weaving oh, incredible stuff, really really good I'm not saying Eldering's bad, not in the slightest, it's just, it is such a giant game 
that is so open-ended that it gives me anxiety thinking about replaying. I didn't even finish it, mostly because Henry was born around that time, and it's just, I don't have time for this. Yeah. I, I, it's, I have enough anxiety in my life without worrying about completing Elden Ring. Uh, but the DLC has been announced for Elden Ring, so a lot of people are suddenly talking about it again. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what, uh, you know, how much they crank the nonsense up in it, because typically the DLCs in these games are just... Uh, usually everyone swears by them as in they're the best parts of the game which is questionable but the it's usually for people that you know have finished the game so here comes stuff that's even trickier and more insane and for the game that was like the game of the year for so many people it'll be it, it's going to sell another <laughs> bajillion copies <laughs> I think oh yeah Elden Ring that's maybe the biggest one I don't know for them, definitely, I think. Well, you know, I, I'll check the numbers. I'm, I'm almost certain it's it's done quite well for itself. Yeah. Uh, all right, well, that's digital stuff. Um, I, I'll just contribute that uh, in my spare time, I've been replaying through um, the Resident Evil 2 remake just because it's very cozy. And uh, I think what I was telling Joel is I use it as a semi-benchmark for the, uh, the new computer because it's... Um, it's oddly intensive at times, and there's this gimmick that I don't know if I was telling Joel about was that um, it, I guess it's technically a bug because the Japanese are infamous for not porting or working with computers very well. The old meme of uh, Japan can't into PC. And one of the little tricks in the Resident Evil 2 uh, remake for the PC is that your knife damage, uh, so you, you, if you hold spacebar, you can you know slice at zombies or monsters or whatever. And in the base game, without any, you know, any bonuses from completing it, uh, your knife has durability. And every time you hit something with it, the durability drops. When you use it to defend yourself, there's a huge drop in durability. Uh, but you can unlock the unlimited knife, which has infinite durability. And what's cool is the designers knew that um, there's no point in giving somebody something like this uh, if without making it worthwhile. And... It's just this great tool to little go through the game slicing at stuff. And part of the gimmick of this, the reason I bring it up, is because the knife damage is not set... The way it works is every time you slash, it's set to your frame rate. So the damage is static, but the amount of hits that you do per slice is tied to your frame rate. So if your frame rate's at 30, nothing special. You're at console rate. Uh, get good, pleb. 60 frames per second, that's pretty good. Yeah, you're doing more than average. When you're at 120 and above, uh, now you can start to play some games, and you can basically slice certain bosses to death with the knife, which is quite amusing to see. And the thing is, when you've got the infinite knife, you don't have to worry about your durability, because if you're using a normal one, your knife would explode after a couple slices, because the same hits you're doing to the enemy is being applied to your durability. But when you've got the infinite knife, you just you slice, and when you're doing it, there's this very satisfying sound of the hits registering on mass, where it's just like a normal slice would sound like, but when you've got 120 FPS, it goes when you when you hit through somebody, and it's it's a little cheesy, but it's it's very satisfying, and the game itself is just uh, delightfully violent and gory, and there's there's great moments in it, and it's just very satisfying running through it. So this is a long-winded way to get around to the point that the Resident Evil 4 remake comes out in. Uh, 22 days. Uh, no, not 22. I guess 25th. So 24 days from now. And this is kind of like a precursor to it for me because as much as I was not happy that they were making the doing this remake because it's cheesy and they're just trying to make the game remake the game that sold the most copies for them. Um, 
it, it is shaping up to look quite good. And Resident Evil 4 is one of my favorite games of all time. So uh, I'm kind of just doing a bit of a, a, a get psyched type experience here for it. And I, Joel, have you played any of these games? I don't know where Joel is. We'll just uh, keep going here. Unless he's cutting out. But uh, anyway, we'll see what happens. I'm excited for the, the remake when it eventually pops out. And we'll see if it holds up. Because there's a lot of skepticism about it. It looks a lot darker. I think Joel's back. Are you all right, Joel? No. No no noise from him. Either the connection stuff has really finally hit him, or he's been requisitioned to take care of his son. Either way, it's fine. So why don't we stop here for a second? We'll do a, a musical break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about some board games. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Android's Dungeon on CFRU 93.3 FM. What you just heard was... I'm trying to remember now. I'll tell you later. It was probably Dungeon Synth, because that's what I downloaded, ready for it. Um, I can't remember if the Grammys happened semi-recently or not. I, it's just, mm-hmm. I think yeah. I think Beyonce won I her 500th. Nobody she cares. won a 500th Grammy? Mm-hmm. I think All that's an I accurate number. That, like, um... The winner for album of the year, like Chris Brown, got really mad because he had never heard of them. Wait, Chris Brown is still allowed to show his face? Yeah, apparently. 
Look at that. You can rough up Rihanna and still be A-OK. Good for him. <laughs> yeah, well, nobody cares about Rihanna, right? Who's well, that? that's... I couldn't believe that people went nuts over her uh, lame-ass Super Bowl appearance. It's, I don't get it. Rihanna's career is inexplicable to me. She's an above-average, attractive... Uh, um, what's her back? Trinidad? Uh, Caribbean? Some sort. I forget which country she comes from. But her music, who cares? What's I don't get it, Joel. Am I? Is this old man yells at clouds? Because I, I just don't understand. Under my umbrella. It definitely got I a hand to her for a career that's been lasting for. Uh, let's see. I remember hating her first song when I was working in the factory at Woods. It was this terribly mm. overwrought um, ballad of sorts with this super cheesy violin in the background. Um, and oh, I, I remember this. It's one of her earlier ones, and it was so bad, it made me physically upset. Like, my body would shake, I think. Blood would come out of my eyes when I had to listen to it. And we always listened to Z1035, and it would be the same, I'd say, 30 songs played on loop throughout the entire 11-hour shift. And it's enough It's enough to make a man <laughs> do things, do terrible, <laughs> terrible things. But we're past those okay. bad days. Here it is. Uh, Chris Brown lost to a jazz artist who's a, a pianist and just lost his mind because who's ever heard of this guy? Who is the, ja- who is the jazz artist? Uh, Robert Glasper. Yeah, I don't know who it is, but uh, <laughs> I'm not exactly up to date on new jazz anyway. That's so. all I, uh, the only reason I ever know that the that Emmys happen is because something happens, right? There's some drama or something. I guess there's just so many of them. Well, it just feels like so many because there's, I I think my, my, for me, at least my connection to pop culture or these awards show is so in, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's so incongruent with my life that the only time I ever hear about is when there's some sort of drama or one, one of the big award shows, like the Emmys, I don't know anything about. The Golden Globes, don't know anything about. The Grammys show up, and the usual suspects start talking about the Grammys as if anyone cares. The Simpsons made fun of the Grammys. Like, the Simpsons got finished off the Grammys in the 90s, so no need to go mm. on to them. And even the Academy Awards, does anyone... Like, I know you're really into them, but do you really care right now? Um, I think it's been, like, three years since I've cared now. I am still watching the nominees for Best Picture. I always try to do that, and I think yeah. I've watched... a seven out of eight of them or something like that i haven't watched the all quiet on the western front oh that's nominated um, eh? adaptation i think it's german movie though so it's probably pretty good elvis was garbage <laughs> avatar was garbage i really liked um, elvis i enjoyed it oh yeah yeah i i, I really liked over it. uh Tom Hanks. yeah Hit everything the- all Everything Everywhere All at Once was fantastic. Top Gun should win, but won't win because it's just a normal movie. Yeah, true. Do <laughs> you think they'll give it to Everything Everywhere? I haven't seen it. It's. I was really excited to see it for a bit, and then uh, I started to hear from... Uh, like I know you said you loved it. I've heard really mixed things from other people, so I, my, I think my enthusiasm just waned entirely where it's just... Uh, <laughs> it exists everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I was one of those ones where it was like, wow, everybody's talking about this movie. I need to watch it, and then I just never did. But I finally did because of it, and it was worth it. It was really, it was really, really good. 
Yeah. Uh, Banshees of Inishirin was kind of random and weird, but also I, you know, really enjoy it. But well, that sounds more intriguing to me than the other ones you described. Too, um, too insular within itself to win. Uh-huh. Uh, I'll probably go to Woman Talking. <laughs> That's a movie. <laughs> yeah, a movie with Francis McDormand. So, you know. Oh, geez. <laughs> I I remember when Three Billboards out of Ebbing, Missouri, or whatever. Yeah. Everyone was talking about that, and I saw that movie, and I was like, I what did I miss? This thing is garbage. It's like, all right, garbage is harsh. It's like. It was perfectly acceptable, but it was like, I like, I think Terrell Sheridan wrote it. I don't know if he directed it or not. And his, his other stuff's way better. (laughs) This one was just annoying, but that's, that's my opinion, I guess. Anyway, this is, uh, we're we're trading on extra credits or end credits. uh, (laughs) They're, uh, Adam Donaldson's going to come over with a crowbar and he's, (laughs) he's going to have my legs broke. Yeah. If you can catch me with my long legs when I'm playing hoops. Uh, all right, let's get off this dreary subject and on to uh, something else. Uh, let's go into board games here. We've got a significant amount of content here. And mm-hmm. I'm going to get the ball rolling because I, I want to get this, uh, talk about this. And it's been, uh, I got to, Joel was supposed to come, but he uh, decided he wanted to sit at home and be with his family instead. And, mm-hmm. you know, I understand that, but it's pathetic and he's going to die alone ultimately. So it's a waste of time. And we went to London, and when I say we, uh, I mean Josh McCaskill, friend of the show. Uh, so we drove the hour and a half to London. It's a boring drive. The 401 sucks. Uh, London itself is not especially beautiful. It's interesting, at least, because it feels kind of like a, a different style of city, kind of built around ravines and rivers and stuff. And it, it's kind of like evil Guelph, if you want to put it that way, <laughs> because it's a university town. And it's got issues with sprawl, and there's a lot of money, and there's huge, you know, sort of problems with it. Because uh, Josh is describing how his friend lives in London, and versus the location we went to, which felt like each house was probably worth 1.2, 1.3 mil. Uh, Josh says his friend lives in an apartment block where he was instructing Josh to not make eye contact with anyone when he walked in, <laughs> don't say hi, and to, uh, you know, keep <laughs> keep his wallet in his front pocket, basically. So... Let's just, we'll, we'll end my slagging of London there. I've had good times in London. Never had a bad time. I've never been stabbed London yet. Sucks. Yep, no, Joel London sucks. Joel said it. I didn't, but I agree with him. So anyway, we went to London. Full of and tall Dutchmen. Tall Dutchmen? John Fatima. Oh, that's right. One more reason to nuke London. Sorry. <laughs> you had your chance. <laughs> so we went to London, and uh, it was we were going to play some trains. And we did. And we got to play... 18 Chesapeake, which I've never played before, but we didn't quite play 18 Chess. We played 18 Chesapeake with the expansion off, off the, rails. the rails. And the quick sort of, uh, you know, the Coles notes of off the rails is that it's a, it was an expansion that was packaged. And you know what? It, it kills me because nobody talked about it. And I, I kickstarted 19, uh, 1860 and I had the option of adding it to it, but I'd known 18 Chess, so I didn't care. Um, now it's hopelessly out of print until uh, either Scott gets off his ass and does it or uh, some miracle happens. But anyway, uh, it takes 18 Chesapeake, which is widely considered to be a very super entry-level 18XX because it's got a bunch of soft rusting. I think it's I don't think it has set ORs, um, but it's generally very friendly. Nobody's going to go bankrupt. It's got a huge bank pool, blah, blah, blah. Who cares? Um, Sorry, we're what past do you mean that. It doesn't have set ORs. 
um, I might be wrong about this. I could be mixing up with 18 Mississippi, but it, I don't. It, it could um, be with, you know, you go through the game and there's only nine, like, are not, uh, there's only like four or five sets of ORs and then the game's over. But I think I'm wrong on that. I'm mixing up with 18 Mississippi. So ignore, disregard. But the point is, is that it's generally a very soft game. It's like 1830, but with training wheels on. Um, so I'm not interested in that. None of us are interested in that. We've all done enough uh, hardcore drugs. We need a bigger fix. And that's where Off the Rails comes in. Mm. And Off the Rails is a uh, meant to be, and even in the little liner notes for it, um, they say it should be played as the last game of the night because it's so fast and aggressive and somebody will go bankrupt and it should be played super aggressively. And long story short is that's, I'd say, 85% true. So what it does is you take the components from 18 Chesapeake and you remove, uh, maybe expansion does this automatically, it just has its own set of cards. But basically you remove two of the two trains, two of the three trains, two of the four trains, uh, maybe one five, one six, and that leads to you know a way faster train rush. And the diesels are more expensive. So the base diesels in uh, 18 Chess, I think, are 900 could be off on that. But now the new diesels are $1,100. So uh, what this means is that the trains are flying off the shelf because there's less of them, and you're shifting to the next phase very quickly. And because you're doing that, uh, stuff you're buying doesn't last as long, and things are rusting faster, so you're going to get to the fours way faster, so the twos are toast. You're going to get the six way faster, so the threes are toast. And you're going to get the diesels very quickly, uh, ideally, and then the fours are toast. So for us, the we went through this game and we were flying, 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 flying. It, it, I thought the game was going to end at the when the threes rusted because I was I was looking at people and I was saying, oh, they're in trouble. Oh, they're going to be they're in, they're they're in it. And unfortunately, they dug their way out of those. And then we kind of stalled out before anyone could buy a diesel. But Josh uh, engineered himself to emergency buy a diesel. And he was able to do that, which was a good move because he could afford it and no one else can, could, and everyone had to scramble to get these diesels. And I was the last man on the uh, scrambling up this grease pole to, uh, to escape the, the piranhas so nibbling what, at so me. So what level did you have that rusted on diesels? I had, I, had a, I had two companies. My one had a six and the one had a four. The company with the four was in rough shape. All the companies were in generally rough shape. They had been sold down, and uh, Rob was trashing companies, that bastard. And uh, he, he was doing it as, it wasn't pure malice or spite. Uh, he was trying to affect turn order, but because he only had one company, it wasn't the, the most effective as it could have been, because I think if he had bought, maybe he, he couldn't. Maybe there just weren't enough shares. But um, the point is, is that, because it also changes the rules for sell-by-sell, sell, which is 1830, away from just buy-sell in uh, the base 18 chess. So the bottom line is that I had a, tr a company with six, with six train and a company with four train. And the four train ran for too long. That's the only issue. <laughs> Excuse me. But I couldn't make uh, enough money with it. And I was trying to appreciate the stock price, but the stock kept getting trashed and sold down. So it was kind of a, a waste of my time to do so. Um, mm. So long story short is I ended up with my first ever bankruptcy in an 18xx game, and it was it was a lovely because I'm not upset in the least. It's a game of uh, I, I feel like off the rails is um, kind of like you're playing a game of you're just it's Russian roulette where you start with one bullet and then as the game goes on you put mm -hmm. another bullet in and then a third bullet and then eventually someone's getting shot. That's what's happening. 
so ideally it's very likely to have a bankruptcy you're saying it, it should be a bankruptcy and rob showed me some uh replays of his because he plays it asynchronously online and his games were getting to the point where nobody it was before i had chance somebody had a chance to lay a brown tile somebody went bankrupt in a previous Whoa. one it was after somebody laid a brown tile somebody went bankrupt so we didn't even they <laughs> excuse me it's the so after the sixes came out people were going bankrupt which is fascinating to see really really nice and that's what i like to see i want in these games because typically they're played a little too cautiously so What's the first permanent uh at the five just like anything else so five, it doesn't okay. change so the fact that you had a four was the problem and that's what made you bankrupt but the six was fine yeah the six was fine it's the the problem was that uh i was running the company hard and I could have gotten away with it if it weren't for those meddling kids because I got my <laughs> stocks sold down beforehand and the the bank pool was filled with my one company that could have bailed me out so I could only sell one share. And technically, I could have sold company the train back and forth and shuffled it endlessly, but there's no point to doing that. You've lost the game if you're doing this. Just accept bankruptcy and move on, which is what I did. And long story short, again, uh, Josh McCaskill ended up winning with the all-time high score of 700 and something dollars, <laughs> Excuse me, which is shockingly low. But, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a dollar or a thousand dollars. He ended up winning. And it was great, 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 great. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, and I'm disappointed. Like, I'm now on this weird search to find a legit copy of it. Um, oh, yeah. Now me. you're like, I must have... <laughs> this must go in my collection. But it sounds I like can't... you enjoyed it a lot more than uh I mean, not necessarily so you're enjoying all the A10XX, but well that yeah, yeah. So that's what I'm saying. It's like I never I rarely I won't say never, but I rarely have a bad time with these games. Um This was just another another beast and it it felt like kind of an interesting design decision that I, I don't want to say I'm trying to recreate or I want to recreate with our little Civ version here. But the idea of a fast, quick, mean game that somebody should lose and the game ends, I'm, I love it. <laughs> I think that's fantastic. Yeah. And I think if it, in a, in, even if you, there's a way to, if somebody gets knocked out of a Civ game for at the end, I'm fine with that. Why, why would you keep going if somebody is totally out at that point? So. That's true, yeah. And anyway. you might even try to do it in order to, uh, if, yeah. you're, if you've kind of got an edge, but your things aren't going to roll for a bit or you've spent all your... Uh, you trade to trade stuff. Why not end the game and and see if you, you can sneak it out? True. It might lead to some uh, moral hazard with regard to that stuff. Yeah, but, but uh, even funnier. <laughs> true. So it's definitely something to you know consider. But anyway, that was eighteen Chesapeake off the rails. Brilliant game. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily a type of game you play tournament style because it is. It feels a little loosey goosey and. Uh, um, the 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 shine the silver lining to the cloud of me not having trouble getting a copy is you can proxy it very simply, and you can even do uh, you can t so what it does is you can take 1882 and take the stock market from that game and because it's identical to off the rails and you can take uh, the diesels from 1882 and use it with 18 Chesapeake and then you just kind of you're just changing the uh, the certain like the player cash and a couple little things here and there so you can make it. If you've got a copy of 1882, which I do have, but it's just the you don't want. Why would you want to schlep around an entirely second 18xx to do this sort of stuff? When you so. can spend money on a new one. Well, true, right? Well, it's only fifteen dollars ideally, but uh, mm. as opposed to the 
<clears throat> 55 euros somebody wants on board game geek for theirs so we'll, we'll, sorry yeah. 15 it was 15 dollars us initially for the game or for the mod for the mod okay thank you i was like 15 dollar 1886 i'll take one no but there are three well no kidding and there are if you keep an eye out guys do kind of sell these games reasonably at times because i think they hear a lot about them and they get into it and then they realize they don't have time or they hate it so you know their loss your game but uh anyway that was my uh direct game that i wanted to talk about uh, off the rails loved it and i i really want to uh play it more if i can so i'll it, it will be a little hacky for from now on so we'll see uh joel how about you well i think you know you were there mm-hmm. played a little uh played the the quickest game of dune i think we'll ever play in our life Absolutely. Sabo, Sabo Dabo, Saboteur. All right, well, let's start with Dune. Um, six players on a Tuesday night. I was skeptical. I was really worried, to be honest, that we were going to be there till uh, <laughs> midnight or something. I was a little <laughs> little worried, especially when yeah, the yeah. Uh, the first rounds were just, holy smokes, <laughs> this is this is slow. But uh, it wasn't even that bad, all things considered. Uh, yeah, so, it all right, took you me don't more want, time to took me more time to arrange people to show up <laughs> and probably took if you added up everybody's driving time it was probably the same as the time of the game mm. but um yeah it was insane i mean we've we've had situations before where round one is always kind of a setup round you can't really win round one because um you know atreides starts in one of the cities and mm-hmm. The Harkonnen starts in one of the cities, and then the, I think, um, the Fremen really should start in one of the cities. So three of the, three of the cities have fairly decent chunks of people, and if you were to go in turn one, I mean, you could, but it would be insane. You definitely aren't going to take three of them, especially with the fact that there's only one card one treachery card available per person and you know um you only have your starting money and usually it's not all that much so i would say round one is is probably never going to end up with a win but it could happen i guess but round two there's always sort of this bulge um and and it's happened before where usually round two somebody makes a bid to win and then um, that the subsequent bloodbath, whoever was involved in it, are kind of out of contention, and then whoever didn't get involved, um, come, come, you know, two or three rounds later, comes out with a win. Because you see a lot of round five, six wins. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Dune is a game where, um, you need to take three territories to win, or four as an alliance. Mm-hmm. So if the Fremen, who don't have to pay to deploy, and the Harkonnen, which is the situation we ended up in, in, who gets to start with 10 territories already on the map, and Ornithopters, um, you know, they they probably have one of the strongest chances to to sneak an early victory, and I never really thought about that until this game. And Well, I think, uh, just to interrupt you for a second, some... the Harkonnen, Sorry, yeah, I think, but... in tournaments have the highest win percentage of everyone. Oh, there you go. And I, I know that those stats are close, but yeah, if the, if, the, if we say it's true, then and the, the lowest, out of curiosity, just to add, 
Fremen have the lowest, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the problem with Fremen is they can't get money, but uh no one decided no one contested a, a twelve drop right at the start, so I was pretty happy with that. Well, I think it was because it was so close to you too. So the first person to get there is usually kind of stakes themselves, especially if you put a decent little force there where somebody thinks, uh oh, it's not worth yeah, it. Yeah, it ends up not being worthwhile. Yeah. Which obviously the spacing guild has the option to go first, but Yeah, true. Um, um but I think you well yeah, but then I think he was just feeling poor, though. That was the issue. Yeah, everyone's got to pay their initial money for their initial treachery cards. And then that's the thing, is that Fremen does not have to pay to deploy. So um, that's, that's really like... There, there's only one faction that can get all 20 of their units out round one or round two, and it's the Fremen. So they're the ones that like have this early burst, which is probably why they lose so much, because obviously then they're going to get... So hard involved in a bunch of scraps and they can't afford to uh, um, get the treachery cards they need plus in combat their numbers are really good but you know they, they can't uh, do anything things but anyway we're getting a little too deep into the weeds i will say that um one of the players kind of threw a fight that he probably could have won or maybe had a chance at and it ended up that uh the fremen and the harkonnen me and Dylan um, snuck a really early victory where the game ran less than an hour, which is insane. Yeah, it was well done. It was, um, I, I think you guys just played really well. And I was, I think I was just disappointed with McCaskill. I couldn't, could not for the life of me figure out what he was doing. I, he was explaining it to me, but it was, it was one of those Billy Madison moments where he was just staring at me. <laughs> and wrong. Yeah. And I, I thought Levi would have had that fight in that that city. And for me it was more I, I had to do it. I didn't want to go in there because I my my mistake for my because I was the Emperor, by the way. So I was loaded, but I was being too cheap with the goods and you guys rushed the victory thing, so I was stuck. I didn't have anything worthwhile, and that's what killed me because I didn't have a any no, defense or attack. Fair. So it, it meant nothing to me because the um, even if I played a high-ranking leader, I know you had stuff that could kill him, so there's no point playing that guy. So I ended up with a cheap hero, and I pumped up all the guys I had, but it didn't make a difference because you could play a six hero. And assuming I didn't have the guy's betrayal, you're fine. And I didn't, so that was that. So Stillgar, still the Fremen get the, also the strongest leader in the game. Uh, Stillgar, I had him as my uh, with Harkonnen last time, and it was so good playing him as the betrayer. <laughs> when I, oh, I felt that it was yeah. cheesy playing against Daria because she was new to the game, but whatever, she knew what she was doing with picking a leader. So whatever. Um, but yeah, it was fun. I had a great time, uh, mostly because it felt it's it did feel snappy, and there was some intrigue, and there was some fun stuff. Josh was hustling. I like the thing about the emperor that's fun is that I like being able to pay for stuff to like. Oh, tell yeah. me what the card is, or where's the storm going, and all this stuff. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, the the rest of it, I think the when the when the treasure card stuff like takes too long, I think the game can really drag, and the, it has an issue with Civ where. Except Civ, you can do the asynchronous sort of movement where, am I going to affect you? No. Okay, I'll do my thing. Um, you can't do that in Dune that I'm aware of. I think it would be a, just a disaster. Uh, so the, the movement phase in Dune can be interminable if you're not careful. And in this case, I don't think it was too bad. What do you think, Joel? No, I think um, 
Well, we always we always have new players. This time we mm-hmm. everybody um, had played, and so yeah, I think everything went pretty smooth. Um, and yeah, like like you said, like there was definitely some like advanced strategy going on, except it just kind of never panned out because that rush worked out, and we, we kind of just kind of whispered to each oh. other. I think we well, here's like, something. Well, you're here, and you're 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 here. You know, I I've got two. You've got one. Why don't we? Yeah, yeah. Just see what happens. Yeah, yeah. It's it was great. It's it's. It was, I was impressed with how aggressive you guys were, and uh, you know, impressed that you won, and also impressed the game ended very quickly. So that's. You know. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just looking here. This the Karama. St- so I had a Karama card, and I was thinking about this later. Um, yeah. And I'm apparently the uh, they've said so. You can Karama the, the Fremen's uh, spice dialing power and force them to have to dial spice. Yes. And I was trying to think that too. That would have been I, good, although I still had 10 You bucks. had a lot of spice, so that wasn't a huge issue. But the other one I was thinking about, could I have Karama'd your um, anti-Sardukar ability? Anti-Sardukar. I don't know about that. I would think so. Because yeah. it's like Karama just basically just do you have to pick it or is it just neutralize any special powers that they have? I think it, it neutralizes on ability. You pick one. Yeah. Anyway, that's just the the game itself. And case, the fact that I'm even asking Joel on there the question about the rules <laughs> yeah, kind of sums up stuff. It's just a total disaster, but it's a fun just, disaster. It's a glorious mess. Just to give um, people some context, if you haven't played Dune, basically it was it came out in 1979 as one of these classic war games, um, and then people played it in tournaments for years and years and years. And every year the tournaments would find imbalances in the game, and then they they tweak it a little bit, and they'd come up with these house rules in the tournaments. And then eventually, there were so many house rules when they reprinted it. Gale Force Nine redid it in 2019. They just incorporated all of those improvements to the game into the canon rules uh so now it's all in there but also it kind of reads like exactly the way that it came about was that like like a lot of like little (laughs) yeah yeah uh, it, it is. I highly recommend people playing it, but the issue is don't do it if people aren't into it, and don't do it if you have a hostile crowd because you will not win them over, unless you <laughs> yeah. have a very, very generous hostile crowd. It's it's definitely a game that's got some very, very sharp edges, and um, it, it it just blows my mind how <laughs> it's like it's not clear, not more obvious, but the it's fact wild. that. Yeah. You, you go online and look up dual rules or dune rule questions and just be prepared to enter a world of pain because they're there. But also look at the time. It says 120 to 180 minutes, which I That's think is lie. actually kind of generous. That's a lie. <laughs> and we did it in the half of that. Yeah. It was incredible. 120 minutes, two hours for dune. Get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> the amount of times it's been four or five hours is, oh man. That's all right. It's fine. It's fine. It's a neat game. And I, I definitely would prefer to play it over a, uh, a lot of other games but you do need six don't even think about doing it with anything else but we're out of time we're gonna stop there we did play saboteur we can save for next time saboteur yeah. i had a ton of fun with that game Intriguing. And, uh, and it was yeah that's all i can say right now so we're gonna end there thanks for listening androids dungeon cfru 93.3 fm check us out on facebook at the guelph board game group on all your favorite podcasting websites and of course at cfru.ca listen to us live or go to the archives page Until next time, I'm Jack. I'm Joel. Thanks for listening. Bye.